Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I want to have a conversation about the Oregon Ducks, how they'll fare in the Big Ten. I was crawling out on a limb about a week ago talking about, you know, I think Oregon can challenge uh, Ohio State for the conference championship. And, um, you know, there are some uh, sports books that have, you know, installed Oregon as either the uh, number two choice in the conference or they're offering final, you know, some, some others are making Oregon kind of the sweetheart pick. And I, want, I need to see more from Dylan Gabriel. But it's a conversation I want to have. Spencer McLaughlin is a contributor at 750thegame.com. He also hosts a podcast called Locked on the Ducks. He's joining us now. Spencer, where are you on sort of handicapping Oregon's chances to win the Big Ten next year? I am crawling out on the limb, but I need to see Dylan Gabriel. Where are you? Well, I think your Gabriel take is pretty reasonable. I liked what he did at Oklahoma. He was good. He was solid. He is good. I, I don't think he's worthy of, you know, having the third best Heisman odds in all of college football. I think that, you know, kind of echoes what J.J. McCarthy had a season ago in which you've got a top five team nationally and the quarterback is always going to be just kind of naturally at the center of that particular conversation. So, um, I, I think he's good. I look at him and say, you know, Oregon doesn't need him necessarily to be Bo Nix or Marcus Mariota or, uh, you know, Herbert when he was at his best. Can he just be like Darren Thomas or Jeremiah Masoli? Because th- those guys were quarterbacks of national championship caliber teams as well. So I, I, I agree with you on the Gabriel point. I think in terms of handicapping Oregon into the Big Ten, I think they're a scratch golfer, John. I think they are doing a really, really good job in just a number of areas of making sure they're ready to go compete at the highest level. And everywhere you look, it's, you know, kind of Oregon 2, Ohio State 1 in the Big Ten. I think it's more like 1A, 1B. You can put them in whatever order you'd like. But I think something you have to discuss is how does Oregon not have at least a little bit of an advantage? Because when they play in the regular season, they play in Eugene at Austin Stadium. And I think that's a pretty notable edge there and uh, Oregon doesn't have to play USC. They play UCLA instead. And the Bruins are going to be in uh, a complete rebuild year with a guy who has not been a head coach and hasn't been a coordinator yet in his career. And I think that's a tough situation down there in Los Angeles, running that UCLA football program for, for Deshaun Foster. So I think Oregon's schedule is, uh, is pretty solid. I think it's, you know, mildly, more difficult than it could have been because you play Ohio State and Michigan, but you miss Penn State, you miss USC, you know, Washington and Michigan both, I think, are pullback teams from last year. So I think the schedule works out. I think the team is there, and uh, and they just got to go execute on the field. All right, let's talk about the potential pitfalls. Let's start with Chip Kelly. Uh, you know, when I see him go from UCLA to Ohio State, I tip my cap to Ryan Day because that is a hell of a play caller. It, you know, he know, and he's game planned against Oregon more recently than most in the Big Ten. He uh, understands the, you know, he'll be just able to call plays. How much of a factor will he ha- will he be at Ohio State, in your opinion? I don't think they could have made a better hire once Bill O'Brien left. And frankly, I, I think Chip Kelly's uh, a better hire there than Bill O'Brien because of his familiarity and 
knowledge with Ryan Day. You know, their their background goes back a long ways to when Chip Kelly was at New Hampshire and Day was his quarterback, and Day has been on Chip's staffs before, and now Chip will be on Ryan Day's staff. And, you know, if Day's going to take a more hands-off approach, which he is, and let somebody else call the plays, you want someone who aligns with your vision offensively. I, I don't think there's any chance uh, of this being a, a one-and-done proposition as an o- offensive coordinator unless – Chip Kelly is suddenly viewed as an NFL OC or, or coaching target in a major way. Cause that I think is where he wants to get back to, but you know, he, he's going to be able to be at his best cause he can just coach, you know, Ryan day and Ohio state's brand and Brian Hartline, their wide receivers coach, they can handle recruiting. Chip can just game plan, call plays, show up and coach ball, which is what he wants to do. And I think it makes Ohio state very scary. I think on the other side, Oregon has, perhaps the greatest staff continuity of any contender in the Big Ten next year. In fact, I, as I think about it and say it out loud, I'm pretty sure they do. I don't, I don't know what happened at Penn State uh, with their coordinators, but Oregon's got their co-DCs back, their offensive coordinator, the head coach, all back. Ohio State will have a new OC. I think it's a really good move. But Michigan is going to have a brand-new staff. Washington's got a brand-new staff. And Penn State, you know, they've got a really good staff, a good team, and a good program. But I – will believe it when I see it when you talk about them as a tier one team in the Big Ten. I think they're at the top of tier two. So uh, I, I think that Chip Kelly makes Ohio State very dangerous, and I think that they are going to be able to score points, run the ball, have play action, everything that you know we've come to expect from Chip Kelly offenses. I think he's got much pers- better personnel, particularly a quarterback, than he had a season ago. I am left thinking about you know USC, UCLA as well. You know, we've talked, you know, Chip Kelly leaves. I thought Chip made a wise decision to leave because I think he was going to struggle. I think there, that was a five or six win season next year. I'm watching Deshaun Foster and I'm going, uh, this is going to be rough for him too. I'm thinking five wins, uh, uh, you know, Spencer, as, as UCLA heads into the Big Ten. Their win total is five and a half and I'm not, I'm not touching the over. I, I'm not, I'm not even sniff. I'm not going anywhere near the over if, if I were so inclined. I, I would hammer the under in that particular realm because, you know, UCLA last year, their win total was eight and a half, and they ended up going under that with – or I think it was seven – no, it was eight and a half. And they, they went under that going seven and five. And I, I think that for the Bruins, they had a really good roster last year. They were just a quarterback away. But now they're in the same dire straits at the quarterback position where Ethan Garbers is the best option you've got, and he's – you know, fine, capable, but he's not doing anything special for you. He's not winning you games. You just hope he doesn't lose you the game. And then they have a much worse roster because they lost guys to the transfer portal. They lost guys to the draft, like Laiatu Latu, who's one of the most dominant defensive ends I think we've seen in the Pac-12 in the last 10, 15 years. I mean, if you were making an all uh, an all Pac-12 defensive team of the last five seasons, you'd have Kayvon Thibodeau at one defensive end spot, and lie to Latu with the other. I mean, that, that guy is ridiculously good, and UCLA doesn't have him anymore. I'm pretty sure they lost the Murphy twins as well, who have been great a- along that front. So new staff, first-time head coach, who's you know not calling plays, which is not uncommon in college, so I don't necessarily hate that. He's trying to be you know optimistic, culture, pro-player sort of guy, and that's great. Players are buying it, and that's great. You, you want energy, you want excitement, positivity around the program, but but the, the the game is played on the field, not in a locker room. And that locker room might be in a good spot for, for UCLA. But when they take the field, 
They are going to be at a talent deficit in a lot of their games, and they're going to be at a coaching deficit because they've got a guy who's going to be learning on the job. You compare that to, you know, Dan Lanning in his first year. He was someone who certainly had improvements to be made as a head coach, and I think he's made them over the last couple of seasons. I thought he got better year one to year two. But he was undergoing that growth process with with an Oregon roster that had well-stocked cupboards from a recruiting and talent standpoint. And then he was able to build on that and bring in more talent. Who's UCLA bringing in? I, I mean, Ethan Garbers, I, the Big Ten is not loaded with elite quarterbacks, but is he top half? Probably not. So you got a bottom half of the conference quarterback with a bottom half of the conference roster and a first-time head coach. I, I think that could spell a three- to four-win season. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be ugly. And USC, meanwhile, no Caleb Williams. What do they look like, in your opinion, as they make the bridge to the Big Ten? The brand is there. Lincoln Riley wobbling a little. I don't know. I didn't love the defense last season. I I think USC has done fantastic work this offseason. Not good, not great. I think it's been fantastic. You look at the personnel they've got coming back, and I, I've got no qualms about Lincoln Riley coaching offense. I think Miller Moss quite literally scared away Will Howard, who's going to Ohio State to play quarterback. He was all set to transfer to USC is what the reports indicated, and then all of a sudden you look up, nope, he's going to Ohio State instead. Why? Well, Miller Moss went and tore up the uh, ACC runners-up in Louisville, who had a great defense. He hung 42 on him in, uh, in, the, was it the, or in the Holiday Bowl. And suddenly he looked like quarterback of the future, and he looked really, really good to me. And he's got Lincoln Riley, who's got a great track record with quarterbacks. Their problem, as you said, was defense. And they went and hired DeAnton Lynn, who you know is the greatest embodiment of UCLA's lack of institutional commitment to football because they let him walk to their crosstown rival. Washington wouldn't let Ryan Grubb go to Alabama because they said, we'll give you $2 million a year because we need you as our OC. DeAnton Lynn said, I want to go be the defensive coordinator for USC, and UCLA said, okay, yeah, that's fine. We'll just, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out. That guy's a great DC, not a good, a great DC. He's bringing a couple of talented players with him. They brought in a couple of transfers from Oregon State, Easton Mascarenas Arnold and his younger brother, Achille Arnold. He's got Kamari Ramsey, the safety, coming over from UCLA. Bear Alexander's back on the defensive line. Their problem last year was coaching and scheme, and that is going to improve with DeAnton Lynn at the helm. You know Lincoln Riley will score points. I like USC's overwind total. I think they're at 7.5 or 8.5. I think they've got a tough schedule. It it is brutally tough, but I think that USC has had a fantastic offseason and is set up for a lot of success going into the Big Ten, certainly a lot more than UCLA. Washington is a wild card. You know, new coach – no Michael Penix Jr. Jed Fish bringing some guys from Arizona, but not enough. Um, how difficult will the transition to the Big Ten be for the Huskies? I don't think any tougher than what it would have been had the Pac-12 stayed together because the league would have been pretty loaded. You know, Oregon, Washington, USC, Jonathan Smith probably sticks around Oregon State. They could still be a good team with Trent Bray, Arizona, and would still have Jed Fish. Utah, of course, is steady Eddie in college football. I think for Washington, it's definitely a rebuild sort of year, but it definitely feels a lot more optimistic in Seattle on Montlake than it did about a month ago or, or a month and a half ago because, well, that was 
No, time is moving very slowly. About a month ago, because they had nobody coming in, and DeBoer was gone. Who are they going to hire? Suddenly you look up and you say, okay, you've got a veteran quarterback in Will Rogers. That gives you a high floor. Maybe not a high ceiling, but at the very least a high floor. You're pairing him at the quarterback position with a good play caller in Jed Fish, who's got a great track record on that front, working with a couple different guys. He's going to have a couple of weapons. They brought in a couple players from Arizona at least. Are they going to have the depth to contend? No, but I think Washington should expect to be a bowl team. I mean, at the very least, I don't think they're going to pull a TCU and go five and seven. I would be, you know, I, I think eight wins is probably their ceiling next year, but I, I don't think that they're, you know, going to be able to make a dark horse run to contend for the conference. I, I don't, I don't think the roster is quite there, but in 2025, yeah, I think Jed Fish is a really good coach and, and we'll have things figured out by then. Yeah, and I, I, you know, like the, the Pac-12 teams that transition are all going to be interesting. But of the four going into the Big Ten, the most interesting to me is UCLA. I just think they have uh, a lot of volatility. They're going to have a basketball program that's trying to matter. They're a basketball school. No Chip Kelly. And in fact, he's he's a coordinator for one of the other teams. Um, most interesting transition team for you. Hmm. As we go into the Big Ten, I mean, that's tough. That's tough. I I like Oregon a lot because I think they're the only team along with Utah. Utah benefits the most from this because Utah is going into the Big 12 and they've got the opportunity to be a conference contender. They're the conference favorite. You know, Oregon will be the second favorite to Ohio State. But I think Utah, with the situation that they've got, it is, is set up for so much success. I think it is playoff or bust for Kyle Whittingham and company because you, you've got a seventh-year quarterback returning. You bring in Dorian Singer via the portal. You've got a couple other weapons. They return something like 70% of their production from a year ago. I, I think they have got all the tools to, to, to win the Big 12 and win it convincingly. They just have to go out there and much like Oregon and execute. So I think those are the only two teams that jump into being a conference contender right away. But in their new home, I would not sleep on USC, though. I, I really wouldn't. I know everyone likes to laugh at Lincoln Riley because the defense was terrible. And yes. he fired Alex Grinch two years too late. Like it should, He never should have gone with him from Oklahoma to USC. And they probably make the college football playoff in, uh, in, in his first year when they lost to Utah in the Pac-12 title game and they were ranked fourth in the college football playoff rankings going into it. So I, I think that USC is kind of poised for, for a bounce back there. Conference contender, I, I need to see how their defense adjusts and how that meshes with Lincoln Riley's philosophy. But, you know, we saw Ryan Day change the identity of his team when, you know, they were getting pushed around by Oregon and then Michigan a, a couple times in a row. And I know they lost this year, but it was a lot different. It, it looked and felt a lot different. And I, I think that that's what Lincoln Riley has to be able to do, and we'll see if they're able to make it happen. Spencer McLaughlin, you can find him locked on Ducks podcast. Follow him on Twitter. Catch him on 750thegame.com. Spencer, I appreciate you joining us, man. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, John. You bet. There he goes, Spencer McLaughlin. Love it. Uh, I think UCLA is the most interesting team. And interesting, I don't mean that like, you know, they're the best team by far. It's just I'm intrigued and in what's going to happen to them. And I'm curious if there will be regrets at UCLA about going to the Big Ten. They're not making the same 
transition that Oregon and Washington and USC are making. It is not about football for US, UCLA. And John Wilner and I on the uh, Conzano and Wilner podcast went way in the weeds on it, if you want to check that out. Coming up, we're going to talk about Washington State and Oregon State. They have a huge week and a pivotal week in front of them. I'll tell you more about it next. Big week for Oregon State and Washington State. Washington State uh, President, University President, Kirk Schultz, will be making his pitch to the College Football Playoffs Management Group. That is the uh, 11-member panel that oversees the CFP. Uh, Kirk Schultz, the president at Washington State, has got control of that group um, because they all, the rest of the voters, would like to uh, move to a 5 plus 7 qualification model, and they would like the Pac-2 to not have an automatic qualifier spot. Doesn't make sense. There's only two teams in the conference, and they'd probably like to reduce the distributions that are being paid to Oregon State and Washington State. And Kirk Schultz, the Washington State president, is saying, no, the CFP distributions should stay for Oregon State and Washington State at about $6 million. That's what each of the schools, the Power Five conference schools, receives. And uh, he he believes that they should uh, leverage the CFP format, because there's no format beyond... 2025 there's two more years left on the tv contract he believes that they should uh you know extend oregon state and washington state's status and ability to vote on the committee beyond 2025 he's basically saying i'm not going to vote and all votes need to be unanimous and i'm not going to uh register a vote unless the rest of the panel agrees to recognize oregon state and washington state beyond 2025. I think it's a good move by Kurt Schultz. He's playing all of his cards. My friend John Wilner uh, uh, basically classified it as, you know, why would you go into uh, into halftime if you have a timeout in your uh, holster? Why wouldn't you use it? And so Kirk Schultz, the president at Washington State, is calling his timeout. He's going to present his proposal to the rest of the committee. And I think what he's going to try to do is he's going to try to get Oregon State and Washington State a seat at the table beyond 2025. Now, there is a deal on the table for $1.3 billion for the playoff beyond 2025. It remains unsigned. There's no format. And that format needs to be decided by this committee. Schultz at Washington State is saying Oregon State and Washington State need to have a voice in that room. Should not be cut out because the Pac-12 is still recognized as a conference. By the NCAA. There's still a conference. They should still have a seat at the table, says Kirk Schultz. Keep an eye on that. That is going down tomorrow, Thursday. Kirk Schultz, Washington State president. I will try to get him on the show. On Friday, Greg Sankey, confirmed SEC commissioner, will be on the program. He is also on that group, that management group, and so we'll get him to kind of download on what is it that Washington State wants and is the rest of college football receptive to it. That's on Friday's show. Michael's in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports. Eugene, Michael, what's on your mind? John, my man, sorry about your nines. That's a tough one. but nah, It happens. It happens. It does. But uh, I was thinking about all my niner friends. I was rooting for D'Amador and Eric Armstead as a duck, but 
couple thoughts on your last guest. So I wrote this uh, as a comment to one of your articles. Sparty is a very underrated job, and Jonathan Smith is actually in a much better place than he would be in Westwood. They put 70000 in that building every Saturday. They have all the resources to win. He took Aiden Childs with him. The UCLA fans, unless they're 10-2, and two, are at Hermosa Beach. Okay, Chip Kelly has not been a dynamic play caller since the 2012 Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> the world has caught up to Chip. There's actually going to be strife because Ryan Day is an incredible play caller, and he made that move so people would stop looking at him in Columbus. USC, you cannot trust Lincoln Riley. They are going to take a step back. Caleb Williams bailed them out of a lot of games that would have been huge blowouts, a.k.a. their trip to Austin. Can can you do a talk about Oregon hoops? I loved your interview with Dana last week. I agree. He is He is on his way out. I just don't see how he's back. What happened to the women's team? Coach Graves, they're the worst team in the league, and they're getting punked. Since COVID and Sabrina, what happened, my man? Right about that, and I like Coach Graves. I know him. But what what is going on up there? So I'm yeah, going to hang up yeah. and listen. Later, buddy. Yeah, thank you for that. I mean, I appreciate it. First of all, I'm going to start. He, you know, he starts off by saying, you know, hey, sorry about your Niners. I had a question in the mailbag that was along those lines. Like, what do you do when your team loses? Like, wasn't today great perspective for that? Like, there are so many people who take losses so hard. Fans take losses hard. Fans are ready to fight each other at stadiums. And then you see something like what happened today at the uh, Kansas City Chiefs parade and rally. Somebody brings out a gun, starts shooting, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's just sports. We know that. It's just sports. Try to remember that when things feel like uh, they're getting too big. Like, I, it was interesting in our living room, we had a bunch of 49er fans watching the game, and there was one kid who was a nine-year-old kid who was rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. And and I said this earlier, but I want to say it again. Like, the game ended, Chiefs won in overtime, and that poor nine-year-old kid was, like, trying to hide over by the end of the couch. He's quietly celebrating. And I said, I said, Rhett, just celebrate, man. Just, it's all right. Like, his team won. It's okay. Like, I think we got to get to a place where, you know, we know we can disagree and not hate each other, but we know that, like, sometimes your team isn't going to win. And Washington fans went through this with getting to the college football playoff. There were Washington fans like Softy going to pieces because Washington wasn't beating Michigan. And I was like, hey, enjoy the ride. Like 130 other teams didn't get anywhere near the playoff game. So, you know, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey. That's part of being a fan, I think, getting immersed into it. Secondarily, he talked about Chip Kelly as a play caller not being good since 2012. I don't know. I don't know that Chip Kelly has been asked to call plays since about 2012 and be the primary play caller. So I am really interested to see what UCLA is lost in a head coach. And a lot of UCLA fans think they haven't lost a lot because Chip Kelly wasn't doing the transfer portal, wasn't doing NIL in the way that college coaches on a major level are doing today. And they're looking over at Ohio State going, take him. But I'm looking at Ohio State going, are they getting a different coach in Chip Kelly? They're getting Chip Kelly the coordinator and the play caller. And guess who taught Ryan Day? Guess who coached Ryan Day? Chip Kelly at New Hampshire. 
And so I'm really curious to see if that reunion of Ryan Day and Chip Kelly, if there is a blossoming savant-like play caller that comes out of that who has all of these weapons to use when he's calling plays, like he's not at UCLA trying to get by with you know the UCLA caliber of recruit that he recruited. He's at Ohio State getting the guys that Ohio State got in the portal and in high school recruiting. That that is a stable of players that are weapons. So I'm I actually think Chip Kelly could be lethal in that offense. So I'm interested to see how Ohio State looks and how Chip Kelly coaches and calls plays. Um, now on to you know the the third part of the caller's question. He asked about Kelly Graves and the Oregon women's basketball program. I think that they were hurt by the same thing that Oregon State was hurt by in around 2014, 2013. Mark Campbell, assistant coach, leaves Oregon State, spends uh, an inordinate amount of time bad mouth in Oregon State. He goes over to jumps over to Oregon, made life really difficult for Oregon State and Scott Ruick. And I think it was really interesting to see Scott Ruick go to a Final Four in spite of losing Campbell. I think Mark Campbell has done the Oregon program dirty in jumping you know, first to Sacramento State, then on to TCU. I've talked to several athletic directors now who have told me that you know they don't think that Campbell has conducted himself in a professional way in the way that he speaks about the University of Oregon, the way he talks to recruits about Oregon. I don't know that firsthand. I would sure like to talk to some of those recruits and hear what story is being spun. I think Kelly Graves had a really unfortunate injury in his backcourt at the beginning of this season. Ducks are struggling, no doubt. They're you know they're not just getting beat; they're getting beat by the University of Portland by thirty. They're ha- they're having real struggles on the court. Next season, he's got a really good guard coming out of Seattle, Garfield High School product. He's got an international player who's a post player who thinks going to be pretty good. Uh, but I think. I think there was a basically a recruiting cycle and maybe a half where he lost a bunch of players in the portal and had the waters poisoned, had the well poisoned, so to speak, by a exiting assistant coach. Uh, I'm really curious to see if he can rebound from that, if he can come out of that. Is next year's class going to be good enough? And I also am interested for, you know, uh, on the topic of Division Street, they're funding football. They're funding men's basketball. Is Division Street supporting women's basketball at all? I don't see it right now in recruiting. I'd be really curious there. I'll do some digging. All right, grab a podcast of this radio show wherever you get a podcast. Make sure you're back here tomorrow. Friday, big guest Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, will be with us. The Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, just a good time. Happy Valentine's We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.